Good morning. Good morning, everyone. We'd like to welcome you here as we come together to worship God together, as we seek to open our hearts to receive all that he has to teach us and say to us today. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to him.
God, you are great. Greater than we can imagine or describe. In your greatness, you come to us. And you call us to yourself. We pray that our worship today will exude our praise and glory for you, the great God. And let us sense you speaking into our lives. We ask this through Christ. Amen. I invite you to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. couple things I want to mention, small groups, insert in the bulletin, begins tonight. And also, on the back of this is an, is an announcement about college ministry team. If you're interested in help, helping to plan, to think about ways in which the church here connects with the college, uh, supporting students, doing what we can do to be a help and a presence, uh, you see Pastor Kevin's uh, email address. You can fill this out and drop it in the offering a little bit or in the box in the back. Uh, we'd love to have you be a part of small groups. This, uh, throughout this semester, we are uh, going to be talking on Sunday mornings about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And the small groups will also be talking about those sort of a follow-up to Sunday morning. So there's a connecting point to those. We'd love to have you involved in the groups. Uh, also, uh, you see that there's a kids club registration this Wednesday. And if you're interested in helping with the Wednesday night ministry, we're particularly, I think, looking for uh, people to help with the boys club. Love to have you involved in that. You can contact the church office, any of us. You can send an email to info at hwchurch.org or get on the website, contact um, Emily Hoffman. But we'd love to have you involved in that ministry if you have an interest in that on Wednesday nights. And also, if you're interested in the nursery, there are still some sign-up sheets in the back. I think today's the last day to sign up as the schedule will be made uh, tomorrow for the rest of the, of the uh, semester. I also want to mention one other thing. This is a little bit different. Next Sunday, and I forgot to mention this is the first service, but next Sunday, if you don't normally bring your cell phone, and I know it's a weird thing to ask you to do because normally we're saying don't bring your cell phone to church, right? Don't want that going off. But next week, we're going to use that. So if you think of it, if you don't normally do that, bring your cell phone next week, and um, that's all I'm going to say, and we'll talk about it more next week, but just want to give you a heads up about that. God's blessed us immensely. I mean, we have so much for which to be, uh, to give thanks, be grateful. And um, one of the ways in which we give back to God is our time, our energy, and also our money. And so the ushers are going to come and assist us as we, uh, we take this opportunity to give back to God from all the ways in which he has blessed us.
use the altar as your place of prayer. Come and join me. Please be seated. Father, sometimes the most appropriate thing we can do is just admit the truth about ourselves. We're pretty messed up people. We fight about petty things. We 
grasp for stuff that in no time breaks and wilts and erodes and fades away. And sometimes we get crazy with our children, sometimes with our parents, our roommates, with each other. We're controlled by habits that we know are wrong. We keep doing things that are destroying us. We wear masks so that people think we're better than we are. And even after we repent, we find it so difficult not to keep falling back into the same old patterns again and again. And yet, we hear your word to come to you. And we offer our confession of our sins. Hear our prayer, Father, and forgive us. Father, as your servants who are listening speak words of forgiveness and assurance into our lives. Father, we pray for others as well as ourselves. We ask for your healing grace upon all who are grieving, that you'll comfort them. We pray for your healing grace upon all all who are struggling with health concerns. We think especially of Linda and Micah, Bonnie and Crystal, of Ruth and Bill, Emily and John, Clarence. We pray for those who are serving in the military and the sacrifices they are making, and we ask for your protection. And we pray, Father, that you would bring peace to the world that would that would make their service far less necessary. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing threats and persecution. And we think especially of the the uprisings and the violence in Egypt and Syria and Nigeria, other places where tensions are high. We ask for your peace. We pray for your church to be a living witness in the midst of very difficult circumstances. We pray for the leaders of these nations that instead of grasping for power, they would think about their people first. And the results would be miraculous. Father, as we are continue to move through this academic year, we pray for growth and spiritual development as well as academic development. Father, all of the burdens and needs of our hearts we bring before you. We thank you for hearing us. We know that you do. And we pray today that your spirit will speak into those deepest recesses of our minds and our hearts and our souls. Speak grace and mercy and truth and love. And we ask it through Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our coming King. Amen.
Our scripture reading today comes from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does not, that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Please stand as we sing together. my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true, cause I am Yeah. 
with our hearts open to you, speak your truth into each of us. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. It was one of those conversations that I don't think I'll ever forget. I was sitting around their kitchen table, talking to a family I just met about planning the funeral for a man that I had never met. When we lived in Wisconsin, one of the funeral directors there would often call me when a family came to him, they didn't have any church connections, and he would ask if I would be willing to officiate at the funeral. And I was always willing to do that if I could because it gave me a chance to connect with the family and to speak to them about Christ when I probably would have had no other means of connecting with them. And it was amazing how God bore some fruit out of that. But here I was sitting with this family as I'd done many times before and we sat down and I I still remember the very first thing that the daughter of the man who died said to me, she looked me in the eye, she pointed her finger at me and she said, we don't want you to say anything good about our father. I have to tell you, that was a first. And I, of course, red flags are going all over the place for me. And so I said, well, maybe we should talk about this. And so they unburdened themselves of years of frustration and anger and bitterness about the, the way their father treated their mother and treated them and abandoned them. And just this whole litany of all of his sins against them. And over the course of the next few days, I think maybe a little bit of healing took place in them. But the, the reason I remember that is because it was such an unusual conversation. Never before, and actually never since, in the, I don't know, couple hundred funerals in which I've officiated, have I ever had a family say to me, don't say anything good about the person who died. It's always the exact opposite. It's always, we want to tell you all of the great things about this person, about this one that we've loved. Here are things that they love to do. Here are their hobbies. Here's the way they help people. They were kind and generous. And everything they can think of positive about this person who's died, they want to tell me that. And most of the time, they ignore all the stuff that's not so positive. That's just the way it is. And I think one of the reasons why that's the case is because we hope when we get to the end of our life, people are going to say nice things about us. When we close our eyes in death, when we take our last breath, we're lying in the casket, people are standing around, we all hope that what people will remember are good things, positive things, and that will be the focus. And ultimately, we all hope when we stand before God, he'll have something good to say to us too. But here's the thing. If you want to get to the end of your life and have people say nice things, if you want to get to the end of your life and have God say nice things, you don't start thinking about that right before you die. You start thinking about that now. Because how we live our lives now and the decisions we make about our lives now is what gets us to what we hope to be then. 
And I'm convinced everything about the scripture is helping us, leading us, guiding us, commanding us, admonishing us about how we live now so that we can get to the end that we want then. And Paul's letter to the Galatians, no different. Acts 16 tells us that Paul goes to Galatia, just gives us a little, just a little mention about it. We find more about the story of Galatia in other places. He goes there, he establishes the church, and then as is his practice, he moves on to the next place. And what we find is that after Paul leaves, some other Christians come in and they talk to this Gentile congregation and say to them, if you really want to be a full total Christian, if you really want to be a Christian who has all the fullness of God living in you, you have to practice all of the Jewish faith as well as follow Christ. And you have to surrender to all of the rules and the obligations and the rituals and everything that it means to be a Jew. You have to embrace all of that or you will always be a second class Christian. And a dissension occurs in the church. Some of them say, oh, okay, I guess we better do that. And others say, no, we don't have to do that. And this faction and dissension develops. And Paul's letter is addressing that very problem. And throughout the letter, he's talking about how these Judaizers are wrong. You don't have to do that. And he comes to a point in chapter 5 and he says, we are free in Christ. We are free from all of those chains and the bondage of those things. But not only does he talk about that, but when he gets to uh, the middle of chapter 5, more to the end, verse 19, and he talks about the acts of the sinful nature, not only does he say it's sexual immorality and idolatry and witchcraft, which we would expect, he also says it's jealousy and selfish ambition and envy and dissension and factions. Those are the things, he says, these are the parts of the sinful nature. And what you guys are doing is wrong. It doesn't make you a fuller Christian. It's enslaving you. We're free in Christ. And you could almost hear the Galatians saying to him, all right, we see what we're not supposed to do. What are we supposed to do? What is it supposed to look like? And Paul says, That's the, those are the acts of the sinful nature. Here is what you're looking for. And it's the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he adds at the end of that, against such there is no law. And he's saying to them, real freedom is living the fruit of the Spirit. Living how God intended you to live is the fruit of the Spirit. That's God's plan for you. Now, it intrigues me as I read this list that these are really just common things. You you read this list, love, joy, peace, patience, and on. These are things that most people in society think are good. I mean, most of the general population says we ought to love each other. Most of the general population says we ought to feel joy. Most of the population says we ought to be patient with people. And we ought to be kind and good. We hear it all the time. And I'm scratching my head because I'm thinking, why would Paul say these are the fruit of the Spirit? Obviously, there's something significant about them if they are the fruit that, that the Spirit bears in someone's life. What makes them so special if you can see them all over the world? I would expect Paul to say the fruit of the Spirit is worship. 
Or the fruit of the Spirit is biblical knowledge. Or the fruit of the Spirit is prophecy or speaking in tongues or, or doing miracles. Things that are specifically Christian. But he doesn't. Instead, he talks about things that are human. And it, made, it reminded me of something I've heard uh, one of my heroes, Dennis Kenlaw, say on numerous occasions. That when God makes us holy, he does, we don't become less human, we become more human. And by that he means we become more like we were created to be. More like God created Adam and Eve in the garden. And more like we are going to be once God brings in the fullness of his kingdom. We're not moving away from humanness. We're moving toward humanness. Just a purity of humanness. And when we start thinking like that, we, we realize that this is, these are they have to be understood in the context of being like Christ. And they are going to be somewhat antithetical to the way the rest of the world thinks of them. There is a mindset about what love is in the culture. There is a different mindset in the kingdom of Jesus. It's one thing to say, be gentle. It's a whole other thing to say, be gentle like Jesus. It's one thing to say, be kind. It's a whole different thing to say, be kind like Jesus. And we're going to discover over the course of the next few weeks that what Paul is asking of us is much more than just how the general populace thinks of it. So where does this fruit come from? Well, it's the spirit in us. Paul is clear. This is the spirit's fruit. And when the Spirit lives in us, the fruit comes out of us. Jesus tells, tells, says in uh, Matthew chapter 7, he talks about uh, how a good tree can only bear good fruit and a bad tree can only bear bad fruit. And there is no exception. So when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, what people see... This behavior, these attitudes, these characteristics, what he's telling us is these come out of a heart that is walking with the Spirit. And you can't fake this stuff. I mean, you can fake being good at a certain level. You can't fake being good at the Christ level. We can fake being kind. You can't fake being kind like Christ is kind. And the only way we can do that is if the Spirit is in us. This is not something where we manufacture. We say to ourselves, I just want to be better at this. I want to be more kind. I want to be more loving. And it happens. It is the Spirit in us. And what comes out of us is simply a reflection of the Spirit living in us. At the same time, we do have a role in this. I didn't used to think that. I used to, one reason I've never preached on the fruit of the Spirit is because it seems to me that you just talk about the Spirit. If you have the Spirit in you, the fruit just naturally comes out. You you throw some seeds on the ground and whatever you planted, it just comes up. That's the way it works, right? No. We do have a role in this. 
The Spirit initiates it. The Spirit is at work all the time in it. The Spirit ultimately produces the fruit. But we have a role, and I think it comes out in two ways. One is preparing the soil. Our role is to make sure the soil of our hearts is such that it will produce fruit. Good fruit. You remember the parable Jesus tells about the guy who goes out and he scatters seed? And he said, some of it falls on a path that's been trampled down and it just sits there. The ground's so hard it can't do anything. And some of it falls on rocky soil and it, it starts to take root, grows a little bit, but the rocks eat up the roots and, and it withers and dies. And, and other soil, is, it, other seed, it falls into uh, these weeds and, and, and these things that choke it out. And, and event, it grows a little bit, but eventually it, it gets choked and it dies. But some of the seed falls on good soil and it produces this abundant crop. Now, when you read that parable and you listen to that parable, the only variable in the story is not the sower and it's not the seed, it's the soil. So the guy's the same, the seed's the same, only the soil is different. And you and I are responsible to prepare the soil of our hearts. One of the ways we do that is to pray. And over the course of these weeks, I'm going to be challenging us to spend time every day praying. Praying for the fruit of the Spirit to grow in our lives. Praying for God to to help us Create a soil that where he helps us pull out rocks. And he helps us nurture the soil and prepare the soil so that when the spirit comes and plants the seed, everything is there that lets it grow. Now we may say, well, God can grow anything anywhere. And yet, Luke 6 tells us that Jesus is out in his, in his hometown and teaching and it says he could do no miracles except maybe to heal one or two people because there was, the people had no faith in him. We can prevent God from doing what he wants to do. It's about creating the soil. And the other image of that, our responsibility, is what we read in John 15 about remaining in me. We've got to stay connected to the vine. That's how we prepare the soil. We don't prepare the soil on our own. We prepare the soil by doing everything in our power to stay connected to Jesus. To live a life of passion for Jesus. To want Jesus. To desire Jesus. To to want him first above all things. And to want to be in his presence all that we can. In worship, in the scriptures, in prayer. Not as a drudgery and not as something we check off a list. But as a way of life. Because we're just passionate about knowing Jesus and being with him and learning of him. That's who we want to be like. That's who we want to spend time with. And let me just throw this out to you. There, you know, we talk about doing devotions. And, and that's, that's a good thing to do. And you know, we set aside time every day to do that. But sometimes doing devotions can just be one more task that we check off the list. What if we thought of it as living a devotional life? Where all the moments of our day are wrapped around thinking about Jesus. 
offering prayers here and there as we encounter people, as we see things, that after a while, the most natural thing in the world is for us to think about Jesus, whatever comes. We have that deep passion for him. And I think it's important for us to understand that ultimately, fruit is intended to grow in community, not all by itself. A vine, one little vine by itself is fine, but you're not going to get much out of it. It's intended to be in a vineyard. And one apple tree is fine, but it's really intended to be an orchard. And you and I are intended to, to know Christ and to grow in Christ and develop the Spirit and walk in the Spirit in community. And actually, all of the fruit of the Spirit, every one of them, is relational. They're not really about us and God. They're about us as each other. And about how we as a church connect with other people. They're all about how we relate to each other. I had a pastor tell me recently that uh, a while back he was on a board of ministerial standing. It was in a different denomination about ordaining people. And one of the guys who was up for being ordained was being interviewed. And he talked about being filled with the Spirit. And by that he meant... He had a charismatic leaning, maybe a little bit Pentecostal, and, you know, and, and he, but he was filled with the Spirit. And this denomination, it was one of the mainline denominations, they turned him down. And he went to this minister friend of mine and said, I can't believe they turned me down. It must be because, because I said I'm Spirit-filled. And the guy said, no, it's because you're not a nice person. You don't treat people nice. You're rude and you're arrogant. That's why they turned you down. It doesn't have anything to do with saying you're, you're spirit-filled. You don't exude any of the fruit of the Spirit. Something is wrong in that person's life because it's all about how we relate to each other. And if we don't relate to each other with something that looks like Jesus, something is wrong about the Spirit in us. It intrigues me that when I read the Scriptures, God seems to be enamored with trees and fruit. In Genesis 1, God specifically says, I'm going to create fruit-bearing trees. And he did. Genesis 3, it is a fruit-bearing tree that is at the center of the whole controversy of Adam and Eve sinning. You move to Revelation 22, the very last chapter of the Bible. And John says, I looked and I saw in the city a river running down the middle and on either sides of it, the tree of life bearing fruit. The God who is enamored with fruit bearing trees on the earth and in his heavenly kingdom is enamored with fruit being born in us. He created us to bear fruit. And what we're really talking about here is not, it's not drudgery, it's not a command, it's a privilege, it's a joy. It's about finding what we've always wanted in life. It's about being the people we were created to be by God. It's about experiencing the fullness of God in our lives to be able to live with a spirit of love and joy and peace and patience when we might otherwise have gone a different way. It's God's 
gift to us as his spirit lives in us. It's why Jesus goes to the cross and why we come to the table today. He goes to the cross because God wants more for us than just to be forgiven for our sins. He wants us to live in fullness of life and to bear fruit and to experience the joy and the grace and the wonder of being spiritual fruit-bearing trees. The question for us is not what kind of fruit is the tree, is the church and the people in the church, what kind of fruit are we going to bear? The real question for us, it's not are we going to bear fruit, it's what kind of fruit are we going to bear? What are people going to say about us? What are we going to look like? Father, we pray that you will help us to have a passion for you and your spirit that we might truly be transformed and filled and bear fruits. We thank you that that's possible through Christ. When the night he was betrayed, took bread, gave thanks to you and broke it. Gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on that same night he took the cup and gave thanks to you. And gave it to his disciples saying drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Father, pour out your blessing upon the bread and the cup that we might experience anew the grace of Christ who has given all for us to make us all that you created us to be. Amen. We're going to receive communion by the mode of intinction. So as you come to the front, release by rose, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup and eat it. Return to your seat by the outside aisles. And um, if you want to stay and kneel at the altar, please feel free to do so. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we do have a tray of bread and cups in the back. We're happy to serve you in your row. I also want to mention that this morning our bread is a little bit different. It's pita bread today. And uh, you might just want to tear off a little bit bigger piece. Uh, It will be helpful to you. Just don't be afraid to tear off a little bit bigger piece as you take the bread this morning. If you are here today and your heart is open to God and your desire is to walk in the Spirit and to bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious and loving Heavenly Father.
After every sin I've done, after every single one, I can't see how you can forgive. I don't know how you can forget. Every time I need to pray, I am unworthy to be there. But you are merciful and good to me. I want to be more like you in everything I do. I want to sing only what you say every single day. I want to be kind and merciful. Let me make it my goal to show the love that you've shown to me. You are my Time and time again, 
my challenge to us this week. I want to ask us to commit to spend five minutes every day praying for God to develop the soil of our hearts to bear his fruit. Just five minutes. Do the morning, do the evening, break it up during the day. But a minimum of five minutes asking God to develop our, the fruit of the Spirit, the soil of our hearts that we might produce the Spirit's fruit. And I'm convinced that that will begin us on an amazing journey of God doing something we could have never dreamed possible. Please stand for the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you now and forevermore. Amen.